First of all, a very warm welcome to our families who are visiting here for the baptisms and um, dedications and receptions. Wonderful to have you here. So what is the deal about baptism, dedication, reception? Eugene Peterson calls these orienting acts. That is to say that they help us understand uh, who we are and where we are and what's going on around us. The idea is that we begin to understand who we are when we understand where we are. That is to say the story that we find ourselves in. This is the fundamental orienting story for human life. And without it, we live in a disoriented life. Um, These days, marked mostly, if you just talk to the average person on the street today, marked mostly by some sort of confusion and almost certainly anxiety. And so the idea is that when disoriented, we think and feel and act wrongly. But I don't want you to hear that in mostly a moral sense, like, you know, bad dog, you know, you you did something with a body part that you shouldn't have, or you smoked dope, or, you know, the typical things that we think of, or you lied, or you stole at work. You you can't think of this as primarily a moralism. That's not what's envisioned here. What's envisioned here is picture yourself in a maze, like a Halloween maze, or picture being at dinner with a, you know, a small child, and they've got one of those mazes in front of them, they've got to work their way through. So they intuitively think, well, I'll go this way only to discover that what they intuitively felt was right was wrong. It's blocked. You can't go that way. And after a while, if you've ever been in a maze, you can get disoriented following what you think or feel and then behaving according to that. But if you could lift yourself, have you ever seen a picture like that where you you lift yourself up above the maze? Well, then you could see And you could say to a friend, oh, no, I know it really feels like you should turn right. I know everything in you intuitively thinks, yeah, that's what you should do. But if you could see from my perspective, you would actually see that if you turn left, you can get out of this maze. That's what's in view here. Now, that catches up everything else. That does then catch up, you know, all the big sins that anybody would want to talk about. They get included in that. But you need to hear this. Only thinking of morals does not naturally include who are you. Not naturally. That can just become religion, legalism, something your parents told you not to do. But it does not have an orienting capacity. It only has a dog-like capacity. Good dog, get a treat. Bad dog, you know, get yelled at. It doesn't orient you to something bigger. But our texts this morning, they do orient us. And and they orient us to what's happening in the story of baptism, what's happening in the story when parents bring a child and dedicate it to the Lord. When someone says, I want to join the church, these texts orient us to what's going on. If you look in your passage at Psalm 8, for instance, right in the middle there, it's about verse 4 or 5, I think, 
the psalmist asks, who are human beings? And this gets us to help answer the question, why do we celebrate the birth of children or celebrate people being received into the covenant family? And the answer comes, this is who human beings are. You made them rulers. Just look at those four words. And if you got a pen, circle them. You made them rulers. Now you can see, I, I, want, you to, I want you to catch this. Like, if, if this sentence had said, you made them professional athletes, or you made them great ballet dancers, that would immediately dictate what they ate, how they exercised, their sleeping habits. See, once they had an orienting story that I am a professional athlete or I'm a ballroom dancer, well then see, that catches up all those moralisms. It, it, that is what actually gives a human being a sense of who I am and therefore what I'm doing. But without that big overarching story, we are just left with a kind of religion that doesn't make sense to anybody. And it's essentially what our society is calling us out for. Rightfully so. They're the prophets of God. When they call us out for the kind of hypocrisy they call us out for, fair enough. And when we, and, we, and we who are in the church call ourselves out for a kind of rule-keeping hypocrisy, fair enough. But I'm telling you, if you want to know where that comes from and you want to weigh out from it, it's in this big overarching story that babies are born into this world to work with God. This is a very old story. It's as old as we can get. Adam and Eve, I'm paraphrasing here. Look at this amazing new creation. Come work with me in it. And you know the story. It all goes south. And this, so God creates this amazing reclamation project. And he calls this man no one had ever heard of out of the Ur of Chaldees, Abraham. And says to him, Abraham, come work with me. Come be with you. Out of your seed, I'm going to make a great nation. And I'm going to bless you and watch over you and protect you and cause you to prosper, which raises the question, why? And Genesis 12, 3 answers it. That you will be a blessing to the whole earth. Come rule with me. Or think of Jesus and the 12. Casting out demons, curing leprosy, healing the sick, raising the dead. What's that all about? Well, it's not to give Hollywood a reason to make a cool movie, I'll tell you that. This is all about Jesus showing this is what God intended through Adam and Eve in the first place, was health and goodness and stability and sustenance and generosity. And it didn't happen through Adam and Eve. And it didn't happen through Abraham. God's cosmic first responders became arsonists. The Jewish people were responsible for creating fires, like the Christian church has been responsible for creating fires. But these texts orient us. They say no to all that. And they say no, what it means to be human is to be human in, in the image of God as he intended in Adam and Eve and Abraham and as Jesus taught the 12 to be restorers of all things broken. And then finally, if you think of Pentecost and the sending of the Spirit on the church, you find the same thing of God breathing on his people and saying, here is the capacity to be what I've always called you to do. 
Um, one of our teaching team and his wife, Dennis and Trevecca Ockholm, Dennis is speaking somewhere else this morning, um, but they wrote a book on baptism that I think is helpful for us to, to see what's actually happening um, in this sacrament and how it is that it pulls us into this story. They write that baptism is essentially initiation, that it brings us into this covenant thing that God has been doing, and that it's a seal. That is to say, it, it shows us God's grace towards us, his positive, unearned action in our life, that it will always be there for us. A part of that is, thirdly, assurance that God will forgive our sins. And then fourth, and importantly to what we're talking about here this morning, that baptism and dedication and the giving of ourselves to the church is a call to the life that I've been describing. So to summarize, we might say that baptism is a baptism into Christ as Christ is, as the book of Hebrews said, the exact representation of the Father. And so we're being baptized into Christ. And then what I would want to say is we're also being baptized into what Christ was into. You know how we meet somebody and go, hey, what are you into? Like, what's your thing? What's Jesus' thing? If we're being baptized into Christ, what was he into? What was going on for him? What was his sense of himself? What does it mean to be in union with Christ? Well, again, you know, we all would know the theology that says, well, we're buried with him in his death and raised with him in his resurrection and the old life is gone and the new life has come and that's all true. Of course. But this is not mere theology and especially not mere theology when it comes to thinking about how someone is saved. There's more going on here. And it has to do with union with his purposes. So Jesus went into the water and came out. And the heavens opened. A dove descended. And everybody that day heard a voice. A voice that oriented, that made meaning of what was happening there in that water. It was mere water. It was just rainwater from the Jordan, just runoff, just mere water. But a voice came and said, this is what this means. This is my son with whom I am well pleased. He is living the way I anticipated Adam and Eve and Abraham to live. This is my son, the exact representation of everything I intended. With him I am well pleased to listen to him. All right, let's listen to him. Look at your gospel text. Jesus went public for the first time in Galilee, proclaiming this message from God. That's what that little word of means. He's proclaiming the good news of God. This is something that God had to say to the earth, and it was good news. And it starts with this notion, the time has come. And I don't have time to fully unpack this text this morning, but just to say, that's the most orienting statement you can imagine. Right? What else would a phrase like that mean to do except for to orient? Right? You could say, this is the space, or this is the time. This is meant to be orienting. And so what Jesus is saying is everything preliminary to me, from the covenant with Adam and Eve to the covenant with Abraham, all the way through the Old Testament, the, you, the way you might think of it, up to John the Baptist, all that was preliminary. But now the time has come when the kingdom of God is near, now, the kingdom of God is simply the expression of God. It's the spaces and places in which what God wants done is done. 
And Jesus is saying that the intentionality of God, the purposes of God into which we're about to baptize and dedicate and receive, that now has come to human beings. It's more proximate, and that's what the word near means. It's more proximate to human beings than at any time since man was banished from the garden. Now, I talk about orienting. This is Jesus' whole thing. If you want to know what he's up to, what he's into, he's trying to orient people to what God intended for human beings. So when he asks us to repent and believe, he's simply saying, no, so this is what God is doing, and you might be living this way, and so you just need to repent. You need to think about how this is happening for you and bring yourself into alignment with God. You need to place your confidence, believe in what I'm saying, and come into alignment with what God's doing. This is what the words mean. Look at them with me. Again, circle them if you want. Come, follow me. Jesus then turns and chooses 12 people and says, you're going to be the movement, you're going to be the leaders, the, the first ones, the first fruits, we might say, of a movement that's going to go global, that someday will include some, I forget what it is now, 3.7, I think it is, I forget, 3.2 billion Christians. Look at me. 3.2 billion Christians whom the Spirit is meant to be animating to live in this kind of life to express God on the earth. to That's what it means to rule, to, to be his people. And so in baptism and in dedication and reception, we're simply saying as we hear the words, come follow me, we're simply saying as a church and as families and as parents, we're simply saying, yes, Lord. You know what the word Lord means? Master. We're just simply saying, yes, we take our lives from infancy to adults who are joining the church, and we say, yes, you are our master teacher, and we are your apprentices, giving ourselves to you so that we can live into the divine dream. Does that connect for you? The divine dream. And we're giving ourselves to you because we want to live into the dream that you've had for human beings as expressed in Psalm 8, as expressed in our gospel passage here. Yes, Lord, I will follow you. I'll trust you. I'll put, place my confidence in you. I'll rely on your teaching. Yes, I'll imitate your manner of living. I'll, I'll adopt your priorities. And can you see how those then become orienting things for your life? If you want a model for this, like, like I'm telling you, if Jesus were standing right here, I think he'd say something like this. Hey, remember how I used to say that I only do what I see my father doing? Remember how I used to say, I only say what I hear my father saying? Well, that's available to you now through the Spirit. If you'll give yourself to it, if you'll make that the big orienting feature of your life, that's available to you. And this is what people mean when they talk about baptism being not just of water but of the heart, that it signifies this big story that I've been telling you. And so as we come... Now, to give ourselves to baptism and to dedication and reception, essentially what these parents are saying is something like this. God, I give you thanks for my child. I give you thanks for my life and the life of my spouse that's created this life. But Lord, we realize this isn't merely about the physicality of 
how cells come together and begin to multiply. It includes that. And Lord, this isn't merely about a, a difficult labor and delivery or an easy one. This isn't about a hospital. All those things get included in this. But what this is about is this. I recognize, this is what parents are saying, this is what the church is saying. We recognize that life comes from God and that human life exists for a purposeful reason. No matter how shallowly we kill people, no matter how easily we rip people off, no matter how easy lying can become and bullying to get your own way, human beings are not yours to manipulate. They exist from God and they are for God and they're meant to be cared for and cherished. Whether they're 40 and joining the church or four months and being given to the church, they are for and of God. They exist for his purposeful reasons. The church is just simply saying along with family, and parents, yes, Lord. And it's important to note, last thing, that as we do this, the world's not going to change. We're going to drive out of here and people are going to be honking at you on the 405. You're going to get out of here and get a little bit ticked off because there's too long of a wait at a restaurant. The world is not going to change. That's not what's promised here. What's promised here is that you're going to walk out and the world's going to be equally beautiful and horrible. It's your orientation to it that's going to change. Whether you're being baptized this morning or dedicated or received, or if you're just simply hearing this, it's your orientation that's being invited to change. So it's our practice here at Holy Trinity to take a quiet moment after hearing the word of God and so I'd invite you, if you'd like, to just close your eyes, bow your heads if you'd like, whatever you want to do with your body to make yourself peacefully present. And in this quiet moment, you may want to ask yourself, you're not maybe getting baptized or dedicated or received this morning, but is there a threshold of faith or of practice that maybe you need the grace of God to enable you to cross over that threshold this morning? Is there maybe some step of, of faith, of followership of Jesus, of, of conversion, of, of you saying ever deeper, yes, Lord? You hear him say to you this morning, come follow me. Do you hear that? And ask yourself, is there a step I need to take? Maybe you're here this morning and need to re-identify with the people of God. Maybe you've been a bit bugged with the church probably rightfully so. But this isn't about the church. This is about God's intention for humanity. Maybe this morning you hear the Holy Spirit nudging you to re-identify with the people of God and to consecrate your life to the work of God in the world.